that song leads perfectly into our, our sermon this morning. If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. We're in our series through the book of 1 John, and um, we've been taking sort of a thematic approach. Uh, and today we want to focus on this text, but kind of talk about what it means, uh, the fact that we are born of God. That, that's a theme that comes up over and over again. Uh, this passage says we're called children of God. Uh, repeatedly throughout the book, it, it speaks of those who have been born of God. Uh, and in one particular passage, it talks about the fact that we're the seed of God, that God's seed remains or abides in his children. So this is a very prominent theme in the book of First John. And let's look at it this morning. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're going to look at this reality this morning, the fact that God has called us his children. And uh, I, I want us just to see two things uh, this morning. First of all, we're going to see that this is an astonishing reality. Our adoption is astonishing. And secondly, uh, that it is a transforming reality. Our adoption into the family of God has a transformative effect on our lives. So we're going to see those two things in this text. And let's just jump right in. Uh, first of all, I just want to look at and define when I'm using the word adoption, I'm drawing that from verse 1 when it says, See what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. We are called children of God. And this is an act of God. God is the one who calls us children. It's not something, it's not a name that we have taken upon ourselves. This is a declarative act of God in which he declares us to be his children. We've been designated by God as his children. You know, sometimes someone might declare themselves to be something. They might call themselves something that they really are not or that they don't have the, the authority or legitimacy to be able to call them uh, to call themselves that. I, I might call myself a genius, but as you full well know, that would not be reality. Uh, but in this instance, it is not just that we, as we just sang, I'm a child of God. We were declaring that, right? I'm a child of God. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful reality. But, but it isn't just something that we've declared about ourselves. God has called us his children. What a wonderful and miraculous reality, this declarative act of God makes us his children. Uh, it's not a case in which he's called us something that we're not. When it says that he's called us his children, that means he's actually made us his children. And it's a present reality right now. It says he, we've been called the sons of God or the children of God. And it says in verse 1, and so we are. We are because we are because God has declared it to be so. God has declared us to be his children, so we are now. And we see this in verse 2 as well, beloved. We are God's children now. 
This is not just something that's coming in the future. When we get to heaven, we'll be the sons of God. We'll be the children of God. This is a present reality right now. What we sang this morning is true. We are children of God. It's a declarative act, and it makes it a present reality. This declarative act then defines our position and relationship to God the Father. Adoption is about a new status we are given and the resulting blessings that come from that status. You see, there's the status that's given, and then there's the result of that status, what that that does. If we were to sum it up, we could just say this, adoption means God has made us his children, and therefore he treats us like his children. There's a lot of blessings that come with being the children of God, and we're going to talk about those this morning. Uh, But just to sum it up, God declares us his children. He actually makes us his children. And then as a result of that, guess what? He treats us like his children, as a good father would. Now, this reality we need to understand is something beyond just mere forgiveness. Sometimes as Christians, we talk and we think about our salvation in terms of the forgiveness of our sins. And that's that's one slice. I I say this often, but but the Bible gives a, a, a full uh, sort of panoramic view of, of what God does in, in our lives. There's, there's justification, there's redemption, there's all of these facets of, of our salvation, and adoption is, is one of those. And so this is something beyond just being forgiven. It, it would be enough, wouldn't it, if God simply gave his son to die for us, that we would be forgiven, and, and then God was to leave us there. That would be a wonderful thing. But this says, not only has God forgiven you and declared you to be righteous and to be just, but then he adopts you into his family and he treats you like his dear children. What a wonderful, wonderful reality. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines adoption in this way. It says adoption is an act of God's free grace. It's it's of grace, as we sang earlier, whereby we are received into the number And have a right to receive all the privileges of the sons of God. We have all the we have a right to all the privileges. Everything that everything, every privilege, every blessing that you could imagine that would come from having God as your father. Now we have full access into all of those things because God has called us his children. It's hard to imagine that we any other reaction to this than astonishment. That's why I said that this is an astonishing reality. And I said that not only because it's true, but also because it says it in this text. I think we see astonishment coming from the Apostle John as he writes this. The very first word in verse number one, see, if you have the King's James, it's, it's behold. This is like, look, can you believe this? It's, it's emphatic. It's a statement of something you'd say when you're surprised, when, when something happens that, that you wouldn't expect. And John says, Look at this. Can you believe this? That we would be called the children of God? And he says, what kind of love? This word, what kind, it, it literally and originally it meant from what country? What country is this from? 
you, you can see how that word may be t- developed. Or what, what kind of love is this? Uh, as a person might see something they've never seen before, especially in, in Bible times where you didn't have the internet and you could just look up everything all over the world on your phone in a second. But, but there were come times where people would come from a far country or from a different place and they might look differently or, or they might bring stuff with them that looked much different than what you were used to, much different than anything you had ever seen in your life. And they would say, what country? What kind of thing is this? Right, and that's what John that word developed, uh, and and uh, but that was the the origin of it, and so that's what John is saying. Look, what is this? What kind of love is this that would take us? You you see there that that we should be called the children of God. What an astonishing reality! John is speaking with a, a sense of being surprised or or overwhelmed, and I I think. Uh, I think he would assume that we here this morning, as we talk about being children of God, as we think about the reality that God has called us his children, I, I think he would, he would want us to be astonished, to be surprised. What is it that surprises John in these verses? Well, it's God's love. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? That love was expressed in a particular way, though. And that is in his calling us as children and, and adopting us. What kind of love is it that would take us and make us God's children? This should be the greatest wonder of your life, that you are a child of God. That should not be something that you take for granted. It should not be something that you lose amazement and wonder over. It's, it should be something every day of your life that you live in reality can you believe that? I'm a child of God. William Perkins, a Puritan, said this, At earthly preferments, men will stand amazed, but seldom shall you find a man that is ravished with joy in this, that he is a child of God. Look, we, we, we would get excited. I just saw an article that said that Bill Gates has, has passed up Jeff Bezos again. Uh, you remember they're, they're the two that are sort of battling for uh, who's the richest person in the world. Bezos took over for Bill Gates for a while, but now Bill Gates has, has stepped in that. He's the, the richest man in the world. And, and I, I think if we were to imagine uh, Bill Gates coming and, and saying, I'm going to treat you like my child. And what that means is that you have access to all of my riches. That's what William Perkins is saying at at earthly preferments like that. At earthly things, we would be amazed. And yet we sit here day in and day out, and and God has made us his children, and we don't really seem that, we don't seem that surprised by it. We don't seem that overwhelmed. The apostle John was overwhelmed by this. Behold, look at this. What kind of love is this that we should be called the sons of God? Consider this, this reality. This is an astonishing reality because of who we are in the first place. Uh, sometimes you will hear people talk about, you know, we're all children of God, and that, that's not a reality. Uh, the, the reality of what the Bible teaches is that we're not children of God, but that we're sinners 
were really the enemies of, of God in, in our sin. Think about the, the theme of sin that we talked about in the Gospel of John. It, it said, first of all, uh, that, that we are sinners. If anyone says he's not a sinner, he's a liar and does not have the truth in him. So we are sinners. And we talked about how sin is a high-handed rebellion against God's authority. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is looking at the creator in the face and saying, I'm not going to submit to you. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. In the, gospel, in the book of 1 John, sin is pictured as dark and evil, a rejection of God's authority over us. It is a hatred of our fellow man. It's the fleshly desire that we have for wicked things. It's the pursuit of that which appeals to our eyes, though God has forbidden it. Sin is the pride that we derive from power and possessions. Sin is the collective revolt of all humanity against its creator. And that's who we are. We're, we're not born as children of God. We are born as sinners who are collectively revolting against God. And God is the one, it says, in him he's light and in him is no darkness at all. He's, he's without sin. God hates sin. And he sent his son Jesus in, in chapter 2. It says that Jesus came to destroy sin, the, destroy the works of, of the devil. All of this means that in our natural condition, far from being children of God, we are those who sit under the wrath of God. John 3.36 says that the wrath of God remains upon us apart from Christ. We're not children of God. Yet despite all this, God so loved us that he gave his only son to be the wrath-bearing sacrifice of our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That would be enough, but this concept of adoption teaches us that God went beyond mere, mere forgiveness to fully incorporate us into his family. What this means is that it, we who were enemies, who had collectively rebelled against him and persisted in doing things which are evil against his clear command and his holy character, we, that's why John is saying that we should be called the sons of God. We have not only been forgiven, but we've been adopted into God's family. It's an astonishing reality because of who we are. Secondly, it's an astonishing reality because of what it means for us now. Because of what it means for us now. Again, listen to the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is what it says about adoption. By adoption, the saved are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name upon them. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises and heir, as heirs of everlasting salvation. It means that God loves us like a good father loves his children. To, to sum it up, we're going to say that because we're children, we enjoy all the liberties and privileges of being the, the children of God. Just think about it. In, in, in earthly relationships, in, in healthy, healthy father-child relationships, I mean, I mean, there's really, there's very few other kinds of relationships that can, can rival that kind of love and affection that we give to our children. Is there? I, I mean, I think most of us here, of course, there are bad fathers. There, there, there are times when fatherhood uh, does, does not live up to, to the picture of what God is to us. 
but, but so often uh, it does give us a glimpse into what it, what it means. It's, it's this love, this, this care, this affection. Look, there's nothing that you wouldn't give to your children. There's nothing that you wouldn't do for your children. They have your ear. They, they can come at any time, at any moment into your home and receive the love and the care that they need. We're always open to hear from them. We want to help them. And I think that just gives us a, a, a glimpse into uh, the relationship that we now have with God, our Heavenly Father. So let's just think about some of these things that, that they list here uh, in this statement of faith. What does it mean? What, what, what are we entitled to? What do we receive now as children of God? Well, it means, first of all, that he will hear our prayers. He will hear our prayers, that we have access into his throne room of, of grace Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into, your, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then heir through God. And so we have the ability to cry. That word Abba is, is a very affectionate word. Uh, probably, and I've, I've heard people uh, equate it to the way that we, a young child might say, Daddy. You know, it's a, it's a word that ha conveys tenderness and closeness and, and affection. And so because we're sons, because we're children of God and we have his spirit within us, we are able to cry to God and say, Daddy, I need help. Dad, I, I need your help. I need your assistance in this. He, he, we have access to him. He hears our prayers. And he doesn't just hear our prayers as some kind of cold, distant deity who might be interested in what's going on. No, no, he hears our prayers like a father. You ever had your child come crying to you? What's your reaction to that? What do you do when your child comes crying and you know they're in pain, you know they're in distress, they, you know they need help? How do you respond? That's the way that God responds, only infinitely more because we cry to him as his children. And so he hears our prayers says that we're pitied which means that that we have the sympathy of God in our pain and in our trials listen to second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of mercies the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction God is with you in your affliction God cares about what you're going through. God knows your pain. We, we have a high priest, and that's another teaching that we see from Hebrews, but we have a high priest who's experienced the things that we've gone through. And so, and so we have a God that we pray to who's our Father. He listens to us. Uh, we have access to him. He cares about us, but then he pities us. He's the Father of all mercies. And because of this, we can do what 1 Peter 5 says, that we can cast all of your anxieties, all of your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You're his child. Now, you, you want to hear what's going on with your child's life. And after a while, you might get a little bit tired, but God never tires of hearing his children come to him and cry out to him. So cast all of your anxieties upon him. We are pitied. We're protected. You know, you may allow your child to experience a, a measure of pain as a means of teaching them. But you'd never let them be hurt seriously or, or killed 
God will allow us sometimes, because he's our Heavenly Father, he will allow us to walk through difficult trials in an effort to teach us and to train us, but he will protect us from anything that would ultimately destroy us. Listen to John 10, 29. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You are protected in the hand of your Father. He's not going to allow anything come into your life that would destroy you. Though Satan and the world may come against us, yet they are not able to do one thing without the con without the consent of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. We're protected, we're provided for. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaching about prayer, he said, if you who are evil, you earthly fathers who are evil, your sinners know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So not only does God hear our prayers, but because he's our Father, he will give us every good thing that we need. Listen, there is nothing that God will withhold from you that is good, that, that you need. He's always working for your good. And, and sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we, we, again, we begin to view God as some kind of distant deity that maybe he cares, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's just forgotten about me. No, no, he may be allowing you to go through a trial, uh, allowing you to be disciplined and chastened because you're his children, uh, but, but he's not withholding any good thing from you ultimately he will give those give what you ask I've already said this but we're also chastened Hebrews chapter 12 says that the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives maybe you're walking through a period of time where where you're going through a trial where you're going through one of those disciplinary times in, in your life and the, the, the temptation can be to, to start to doubt God's love for you. The temptation can be to think, if God's my father, why would he let me go through this? But listen, you need to take heart. The fact that he's allowing you to go through those trials is a sign of his love for you. It's a sign of his love for you because he's, he's correcting you. He's disciplining you. He's, he's in a process of molding you and helping you to mature. Every father helps their son mature. Every good father helps their children mature. That's, that's one of our responsibilities. If we don't help our children mature, we're not a good father, right? If, if they turn 18 and, and they don't know how to do anything as an adult, we have failed. God would fail us if he were not to discipline us. So he's training us. He chastises us, but it says, but never cast off. Never cast off. Don't, don't mistake God's chastisement, God's discipline in your life as though he's cast you off. John 6, 37 says, all that, the Father, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. My Father in heaven, this is his will, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me. That's God's will. He's not going to lose you. He'll chastise you. He'll discipline you. He'll let you go through dark nights of the soul. He'll let you go through trials and pain for the purpose of disciplining you. But he will not leave you or forsake you. His plan for you is that he will save you. And he's not going to lose one of his children. He's not going to lose any of his children. And then it says that we are heirs 
of the promise. All of this is because we're God's children. He's called us his children. Romans 8, 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's that word again that we saw in Galatians. We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there's a time of suffering, but there's a, a time of inheritance as well. Now, this is one of those areas where, where the fact that we're heirs of God, that we're children of God, uh, is a little bit distinct. Because in our mind, we think of being an heir, that implies that death will come, but with, we know that God will never die. What this means, though, is that we share eternally. We eternally share in the Father's possession of all things. So, so we, we share in that possession, the possession of these things now, and we will forever share in possession of, in God's possession of all things. That's our inheritance. This is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, talking about himself, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul said, I'm here on this journey. I'm out here preaching, and, and I have nothing but I've got everything. I'm a child of the king, and I possess all things. He, he owns all things, and I'm an heir with him, and I possess all things. We possess an eternal, we possess eternal life, the kingdom of heaven. We shall inherit the earth, the Bible says. We'll reign with him uh, on, on thrones, and so we are heirs. So just co consider this dramatic change. You, you see, this is why John is astonished. This is who we were. We were sinners, rebels against God. We have collectively joined together as the world to, to refuse God, to resist him. And, and yet he's taken us and he's not only forgiven us, but then he's put us in this favored position of being his children, of being heirs of all things, of having direct access to him, able to pray and know that he cares for us and that, that he loves for us. Another Puritan said this, he says, from being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God, from being a child of wrath to the object of God's favor, from being a, a child of condemnation to becoming an heir of all the promises and a possessor of all blessings and to be exalted from the greatest misery to the highest felicity, this is something which exceeds all comprehension and all adoration. And this is why John says, look at this. What kind of love is this that God would make us his children, that he would do all of these things that we've just talked about, that he would do that for us? What an amazing thing. You ought to be astonished this morning. Let me ask one question quickly, though. I've already alluded to the fact that sometimes people say, well, we're all the children of God. But the Bible, and in particular, the gospel and the letters of John, are very clear that all people are not the children of God? Who, who is it that who are the children of God? Well, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. So here John says it is those who believe, those who believe, John 5, 1, 1 John 5, 1, those who believe, are the ones who have been born of God. They believe in Jesus Christ. 
And John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, makes it even clearer. John 1, 9. True light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Jesus. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Who, who are the children of God? Those who receive Jesus Christ, who believe in his name. Those are the ones who have been given this unbelievable, astonishing right, this authority to be called the children of God. You're, you're not a child of God this morning unless you have received Jesus Christ, unless you have believed in his name. Those are the children of God. And it says, he goes on to say, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of, of God. And so this morning, it is an astonishing reality. But secondly, I want you to see that it is a transforming reality. Our, our, our adoption is transforming. The, the sonship that we have is, is not just positional, but it has a transformative effect. In those first words, we, we see the idea of what kind of love is this, that we should be called the children of God. God has declared us. That's, that's, a, that's a position that we now hold. We are, because God has declared it to be so, we are the children of God. And adoption is primarily about our status as children of God. He's treating us as his children. But in connection to our adoption, God has also granted us a new nature that corresponds to our identity as his children. So he treats us as children, but then he also actually makes us his children. He gives us the nature of his children. There's a status that's given, and then there's a corresponding nature that comes because of our adoption. If you're a, a child, it means, first of all, that you, you stand in a certain relational status with, with your father. You're a child. That's a status that you have. He loves you. He cares about you. He's tender and affectionate towards you. All the rights and privileges of being his child are, are yours. If you're a child, it means that through the process of begetting, though, you also receive the nature of your father, right? You get the DNA. So, so you have this relational status. I'm, I'm his son. I'm, I'm his heir. And, and he loves me. He's, he has affection for me. But, but you also have his nature, right? We, we know about DNA. We, we know, and if you have children, right, you see those attributes. You see the way in which you've passed down your nature to them. The interesting thing with us in this adoption, typically, right, in, in adoption, what you're doing is you're taking someone who doesn't have your DNA, uh, they, they don't have your nature, and, and you're declaring them through a legal act to be your children. You're treating them and bringing them into your family and treating them as your children. And that's what, what God has done. But, but in this reality of adoption that, that God has done in our lives, he's not just declaring us to be a, his children. He's actually making us into his children. This is obviously unlike human adoption. Here we, we give children... We did not beget the status or position of being our children. But when God adopts us, he begets us also. He, he gives us new spiritual life, a, a new nature, a new spirit. So it's not just a status or position, but he imparts to us a nature as well. 
So Brandon is here this morning. I wasn't sure if he was going to be here, but I guess we, we adopted Brandon, right? We love him. We love him like all of our other children. He has the status of, of being our children. But one thing he didn't receive, and he's probably very thankful, is that he didn't get my DNA. He, di- he didn't get my nature. And so there, there's a lot of ways that, that he's blessed by not having uh, th- that DNA, right? But when God adopts us, he gives us the status, but he also gives us a new nature and a new spirit, the, the spirit of sonship. Our, our nature begins a process of change that will be completed at, at Jesus' return. In other words, he gives you this new spirit, this new nature, and because you have a new nature, a new spirit, you begin to act differently. There's changes that occur, and, and the final and full realization of that change will come when Jesus returns, and that's what John is telling us here. Verse 1, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be in the future has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We're changing. There's a transformation that comes with this position of of sonship. When he says here that we don't know what it has not yet uh, appeared, what we will be, he's not saying here we have no idea what we're going to be. I mean, we could be aliens, we could be robots, we could have three heads. We have no idea what we're, that's not what he's saying. He's saying what we will be has not yet appeared, meaning we know what we're going to be like, but it just ain't happened quite yet, fully anyway. And that's what he's saying here, I, I think, because he goes on to say, uh, read verse 2 again, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We know what we're going to be like. We're going to be like Jesus. Uh, but, but that hasn't yet fully occurred. It hasn't appeared. It hasn't been revealed. In other words, we haven't fully experienced this transformation. But that is our goal. That's the direction of our life now. We've been given this spirit. We've, we've been made his sons. And so Jesus is the pattern. Jesus is the perfect son. He's the goal. He's the one we're becoming like. And and so we're in this transformative process even now. What we see here is the the completion of our transformation process in the future fuels our efforts of transformation in the present. The completion of that transformation process in the future fuels our efforts in that transformation process in the present. Do you see this in verse number 3? And everyone who thus hopes in him, meaning every person who hopes in this way, do you have this hope? You hope that Jesus is going to appear, and when he appears, you're going to be like him because you're going to see him as he is. Everyone who has that hope, is that your hope this morning? Everybody looking at me? Is that your hope this morning, that Jesus is coming back, and when Jesus comes back, you're going to be like Jesus? That's what's going to happen to us. We're going to be like the sun. We're going to be perfect in his image. Are you longing for that day? Everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Look, if that's your goal, if, if one day your, your greatest hope in this life is that one day you're going to be made perfect like Jesus, that's what you're longing for and waiting for. Day after day, I'm waiting for Jesus to return and I'm going to be like him. Well, if that's true, then what's going to happen right now is that you're going to be at, at work trying to be like Jesus now. 
you're going to be at work purifying yourself now as he is pure. That is, as Jesus is pure. So I want to be like him one day, and I'm going to work at it right now until that time comes. I think that's what John is saying. If the great hope of your life is that one day you'll be like Jesus, wouldn't you seek uh, to, to be like him now? This is why John keeps saying things like John chapter 5, verse 2. This we know, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Or verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So if God is righteous, don't, don't you think those who have been born of him are going to be righteous as well? Or chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we have this future hope, and we've been born of God. And because we've been born of God and been given the spirit of sonship and, and been given this new nature, we're going to start becoming like God. We're going to start emulating our older brother who, who is perfect, the perfect image of God. So our... Adoption grants to us a new status as sons. And God also gives to us a new nature, a new birth that begins a pattern, uh, begins to pattern itself after the perfect son, Jesus Christ. So let's bring this to a close this morning. What, what are some areas, if we have this hope because we're sons and we ought to be purifying ourselves as Jesus was pure, we have to be getting rid of sin in our life so that we can look more like our older brother. What, what are some areas that we need to or that you need to be purifying yourself that you might become like Christ? Because you're a son of God. You're a child of God. And, and you ought to be working at that. Well, I, I could think of a few. What, what about our love for others? If you so esteem the love of Jesus, why would you not seek to be like him? I can't wait. I'm longing for that day when we will be transformed to be like Jesus. And we love Jesus because, because he was so loving and so compassionate. Wouldn't we seek now to purify ourselves and to become people of love right now? If that's our goal, if that's our aim, if that's what we're really hoping for one day, wouldn't we be at work trying to become like that now? Think about the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is a forgiving love. The love of Jesus is a compassionate love. It, it, it looks on those who are in desperate need. Do, do you have compassion on those in need? Are, are you a forgiver? That's the kind of love that I talked this morning about um, Christ in the upper room and how he washed the disciples' feet, the, the, the feet of the people that he knew were about ready to betray him and to flee from him. That's the kind of love, the forgiving love, the, the forgiving kind of love that would lay down his life to, to forgive us. That's what we're going to be like. That's what we're longing to be like. Why don't we try to purify ourselves now that we would be that way? His love is a faithful love. His love is a sacrificial love. Are you distancing yourself from, from God's children, your brothers and sisters? Jesus loved his brothers and sisters, and he wanted to be near them. Or are you, are you kind of drawing near to people, or are you pushing them away? So what about your love for others? What about righteousness? This is another area that we need to purify ourselves as he is pure. Is there sin in your life that is keeping you from looking like Jesus Christ? 
I know there is. There, there's sin in all of our lives. What is it? Let me ask it that way. What is it in your life that is keeping you from looking like the son that you are becoming? What about unrighteous anger? Becoming angry over, over things that we should not be angry about and then responding in that anger in ways that are sinful, whether it's hurtful words or lashing out. Unrighteous anger. What about lust? We look to Jesus Christ, we see a man who treated women with respect and not as an object to be consumed and discarded. Do you look like Jesus in that way? What about covetousness and materialism? We look to Christ and we see somebody who didn't care about the things of this world. He had what he needed and he, he, he trusted his father to provide for him, but he didn't have a place to lay his head. He truly sought the kingdom first. Are you, do you look like Jesus in that area? Or, or, or do you look greedy? Do you look covetous? Are you an obedient child? I read that passage earlier where he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It, it, do you look like your older brother in that way? You, you're a child of God. Are you an obedient child to your father? Jesus came and he laid down everything and he did the will of his father even to the point the Bible says he was obedient even to the point of death. Are you obedient to your heavenly father? Are you seeking God's will in your life or seeking to assert your own will? Are you enjoying fellowship and communion with your heavenly father through his word? We, we look to Christ. We see somebody who wanted to be around his heavenly father. He wanted to spend time with his father. He would minister all day and then rise early in the morning before everybody else got out while it's still dark and go to be in prayer with his heavenly father because not because this is some cold, distant deity, but because it was his father and there was a relationship there. Do you have that kind of relationship with your father that you want to be with him? You want to spend time in his word? You want to spend time in prayer? Or are you like a child who who doesn't speak to their parents. Jesus hungered for time alone with his father. So we close this morning. I wonder, first of all, are you resting secure in this position? As we sang this morning, we can declare I'm a child of God and we can declare that because God has declared it. He's called us his children. Are you resting secure in that position? And then secondly, are you working to live up to that status? I'm a child of God and I want to be a faithful child of God.